What is up, everybody? Welcome to Wayward Artists in a Wayward World. I'm Sid, and join me today is my very good friend and writer and all the amazing stuff and fan of the show, Grace Ward. Grace, how are you doing? Hello. I'm really good. I'm good. I'm pumped. It's Saturday. Yeah, it is Saturday. It's Saturday, May, May 15. Yesterday was my birthday. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday. Thank you. I am 28 years old now. Uh, death is coming <laughs> a, lot, a lot quick. It's rolling. It's coming close to dirty 30. Yeah, at least, you know, like I'm very confident a little bit about turning 30 and it being like, okay, I might be older now, but I'm not old, you know, like I'm not on the brink of death. You know, 30, I feel like from what I've been told is the new 20. Yeah, I say this all the time. I can't wait to be 30. Like, I think I am built to be a 30-year-old. Like, I am ready. I'm ready to be 30. The 20s, I'm, I don't like them. I'm not rolling with it. I want to be 30 so bad and just have, like, my dog and my wine and... <laughs> yeah. Uh, the 20s are so weird because, like, you start off, like, you're 18 years old. And, like, I, I've we've had a lot of, like, 17 going on 18-year-olds on the show. And it's just, like... You know, legally speaking, like you are an adult, but like, it's also weird because you're still like a child, like you're still like a baby. Like, it's not like coddling them and like, you know, doing all this like weird stuff, like, you know, what you do with a child, but it's weird looking at like these 18, 19 year olds and then going into your twenties and it's all super awkward. It's still very awkward. You don't really know what's going on. I feel like, and maybe that's not the truth for a lot of 30 year olds, but like, Mm -hmm. I feel like. 30 year olds maybe like you know they got it you know like at least they they have like 10 years of like awkwardness down the line and they're ready for like maybe another 10 years of different kind of awkwardness I don't know yeah yeah well I'm I'm 20 but I skipped um a year of college and then I graduated high school early so I'm like a I'm a, I'm a senior in college but I'm 20 and I oh, wow. turned 21 in August and all my friends are like turning 22 and so I I have this weird complex where I just feel like I am 21 like I just think I am like <laughs> and even even sometimes I'll be like in the wine section at stores and I'll be like oh yeah I'll get a bottle of wine and then I'm like you are not that's not legal like you can't do that and I tell this to my friends they're like everybody feels like that when they're 20 about to be 21 like everyone feels like they should be 21 I'm like no I felt this way for like a year and a half like I just am (laughs) but I'm not I know time is the same for me as everyone else but it feels like it's not correct (laughs) no I feel that I mean like in a, in a weird sense, like even as a kid, like 13 years old, I've always like <laughs> a lot of trauma and everything going on in my life, like not to get into it. But like at, when I even when I was 13, I felt like I was an adult, you know, I felt like I was yeah. older, like maybe that's like what trauma does to you. But like um, I've always felt older, even though I was like, you know, probably like around the same age, like and I skipped a few grades, too, mostly because of like personal stuff as well so like when I was in college um my freshman year the kids who were seniors that were my age were leaving (laughs) like they were already gone so I'm like I I should be going with you guys you know I feel like I should be I should like I should I feel like I should be on your level but like that's not the case and uh it hasn't really been the case like that for a long time so I've I've always I think I connect well with younger people because I've always been around younger people you know, mm-hmm. like, I just feel like I'm one, I'm, I'm, I'm with you in my brain, Yeah, you know, in this a weird is way. Your, your age group, we're, we're a team. 
yeah it in a weird way yeah that's my age group i've always hanged out with uh, hung out with like younger people <laughs> um I love it, yeah it's good it worked out well i think so you know i graduated college so that's the important part <laughs> yeah that's the thing i have a countdown on my phone it's 217 days till they let till they let me be free <laughs> yeah where do you where, where do you oh this is a good segue into like um who you are what you do and how do we know each other so who the heck I am <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> I go to Boise State so I live in Boise Idaho as mm-hmm. of right now for now probably not permanently but uh yeah I go to Boise State I'm studying theater there I'm a writer um primarily a screenwriter these days but I do a lot of playwriting musical theater writing and um theater Swiss army knifery. I was a stage manager and a lighting designer and a sound designer for like mm-hmm. three, the first, the first half of college, I was a designer, designer, um, and an electrician. And I kind of realized I was like, wow, I'm like ready to work professionally in this, but I don't really want to, like, it's not, I want to be writing. And so then I went on a, like a quest to find who I was and a pandemic happened and it all worked out great. Now I'm here. But yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, like, um, what made you want to be a screenwriter? Like, was it uh, was it influenced by the pandemic? No, I've always been a writer. I've all I've always written. I was writing movies and plays. Like my my first year of high school, I did an extra credit project for my AP World History class, where he was like, "Just make something." And so I wrote like a seventy page play about the Blitz, and I was like, "Here." there's my extra credit. He's like, you wrote a play. Like, why? I was like, I don't know. I just wanted to. Um, and I was doing some screenwriting. I was doing a lot of film acting before, um, the pandemic. And so I kind of realized that I was always unhappy on film sets because I felt like the dialogue wasn't very good. And so as an actor, I was like, I'm bored. Not the films were great. And the, the people I worked with were great, but I was like, ah, I feel like this could be better. I feel like I could do this. And mm-hmm. so then when theaters all closed, it was kind of the natural segue. And that's when I wrote my first feature screenplay was the first week of the pandemic. I just stayed in this room and wrote and wrote and wrote. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, like, I feel, um, I love screen. I, I like writing. Um, I, I, granted, I don't really consider myself like a playwright or like a natural writer, but like I wrote a grant, like my, when I wrote my grant for like this playwright form that I was going to do, it mm-hmm. was very fulfilling. Like it, I it, like um, going, it was very fulfilling to like to figure out like where I've come from and what led me to like where I am right now. And the way we met kind of was like, through NTI actually, even mm-hmm. though I never went to NTI, but I got accepted into the program and I really appreciate writing that, uh, like the essays that they give you um, yeah. for like admission. Like I just poured out like why I like doing art and it really helps ca- like not categorize, but like sort out why I, I do art. You, you know, you know, in like this yeah. weird way, like it helped me help develop like my sense of artistic style. It helped develop like uh, why I think the arts are important. Whereas like, I feel like if you talk to me, I don't know, on a, like a random day, like before that, that, that whole essay thing, it was just would have been like, eh, I just like it. It's, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. You know. 
Yeah, it's important. It's important to know why. I th- I feel like so many people do th- like you. I don't know you. If you're doing art and you don't know why, like you have a why, you've got to fi- you've got to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like, well, if you don't know why, it's not. I'm. I don't know. I'm not like the person who's like, if you don't know why, don't do it. I'm like, you'll figure out why eventually. Keep going, but. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, I agree. Those essays, every reflection essay I write about like who I am as an artist, I learn something new about myself. I'm like, oh, wow. yeah. And uh, speaking of the National Theater Institute, you were in the National Theater Institute as well. I was. <laughs> you were there when friend of the show Kayla Fontana was there. I love her. I have her. I so I showed this to Sid. I have her on my wall above my desk and next to my desk. I have Polaroids yeah. of Kayla Fontana. I love yeah. her. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Kayla's amazing. Uh, I re- like not to go too deep into Kayla right now because uh, this show's about you. <laughs> but I mean, let's um, talk about Kayla, dude. I love Kayla. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just like I just remember meeting her and just like I knew she was in like the same kind of pickle I was artistically, like mm-hmm. early, like around that age. Like I was in my like twenty years old, like when I did started doing theater. Like, like I had no experience in theater prior and or any exposure to theater so here I was seeing this like gal who um was pretty much like you know like got fucked over by like her whatever like like the college that she was supposed to go to and it was just like I know how to help her like or at least I know how to guide her into like yeah what, like and you know I didn't think she would take any of it to heart honestly <laughs> you know how people when you give them your opinion it's like all right man thank you for, so much for the help I'll just put in a box we'll like we'll, we'll think about it later write it down uh, put it on a sticky note yeah you know like I when I told her like hey you should apply to NTI because I think this is kind of what you need right now and I didn't think she would actually do it <laughs> but she did I was like oh wow and she's like giving and like she's giving me like her essays like hey what do you think about this essay and the fact that I was like critiquing her essays like a professor really made me realize just how much I liked doing that you know, mm-hmm. just being like, yo, this, they're like, you know, like her original essays were just like, oh, like you're not really talking about yourself. You're just talking about the technique, which is like, that's not what they're looking for here, especially in a program like this. I was like, and I explained that to her and she took all that advice. And like, when I look at that, my notes, I'm like, boom, this is exactly what my professors would tell me. I'm like, damn, look at how smart I am. Big brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's- Ugh, I'll never forget the moment I met Kayla because I had flown a red eye from, I flew Boise to Phoenix. I'd, I'd never flown alone before. I flew Boise to Phoenix and then I hung out with my grandparents in Phoenix for a day. And I told Sid this in the, before we started recording, I was in a pretty um, manipulative relationship. And so I was a, I was a mess. Like I was a, I cried and cried and cried and cried. I was like terrified to leave this boyfriend because this boyfriend had made it pretty clear that like me being far away was not okay and I was like I'm going anyway I got in to the National Theater Institute here I go and so I'd flown this red-eye flight Phoenix to Philly then I took a flight to Connecticut and then I took an Uber and I was all alone I'd never been to the East Coast before and I showed up on the campus with my suitcase all of my stuff was in one suitcase I was like here we go and (laughs) I, Kayla was on this balcony and she was with our friend Eric and our friend Jane and they were talking and I was like hello from the parking lot and they were like hello and I was like who are you and they were like oh 
I'm this and Kayla's like I'm Kayla I was like where are you from and she's like I'm from Spokane and I was like oh, I'm from Boise <laughs> those are like that's that's my that's side good, of the good. country mm-hmm. we're close and then Kayla just is light like as a human like she brings so much light and also like I'm doing like this hand thing mm-hmm. because she like her grip on everything she does is so powerful like she's so powerful and mm-hmm. also so chaotic and like beautiful and I I I hope she at some point can read every word every word I write I want to hear Kayla Fontana read because she's brilliant <laughs> no yeah like I I agree like I, I I definitely saw something in her like I but like, it was just like one of those things where I'm just like, I, I would give this advice to anybody, but like mm-hmm. the fact that she like kind of took it in and like was actually listening to it, it was like, it meant a lot. And it meant a lot to her. Like she always tells me that, I mean, you know, for listeners of the show, you can listen to Caleb Fontana's episode of the podcast. She was on it and she was thankful for me. And I was like, not on my show, <laughs> you're being nice to me. Like, and on my show how dare you you know um but going back to nti um the way we met i got accepted into nti and i was i don't know how i found you honestly like maybe i was just like maybe i was like super stalkery i was just like is there anyone like going to nti this year that like maybe i should follow i'm like hey we both got into nti let's be friends you know type of thing and i think maybe like yeah your profile might have popped up or something and i was just yeah, like no I, I think I was the one being stalkery because I was like looking for people who'd like, because NTI does a weird thing where they don't tell you who else is in your class. Like up until the, like, I did not know a single name of anyone in my class until like I met them at NTI. You don't know who your roommate's going to be. It's just like, well, go. And so I was being stalkery. And I think I, you hashtag NTI and you'd made a post about it. And I was like, follow. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's how it started. And um, like we connected a little bit there, but then we kind of let off because I decided not to go to NTI. Originally, mm-hmm. it was because of like some sort of like artistic, like, you know, discovery of myself, all blah, 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 you know, but then the pandemic happened. I was just like, you know, it was just because of the pandemic, honestly, like it just happened. It happened <laughs> to have happened. Like I'm honestly... I don't know how you feel about being at NTI during the pandemic, but in retrospect, I'm really grateful I didn't go like spending all that money, like, especially as somebody who I don't really like, like this online platform of like theater too much. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's more personal. Like, it's not like, Oh yeah. Like that's, this should never exist. You know, like I, I'm one of those people that are like, you know, you, you should definitely stream plays like in the future, even after the pandemic, but it was just not for me. And um, so I'm grateful that I didn't actually end up going and spending all this money. So I don't know how you felt. Like, how did you feel about being at NTI um, uh, during a pandemic? I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Like, for the, it was like 50 days we got together. I'm so glad I got them because they were so important for me as a human. Um, because like, like I said earlier, like it was a big, it was scary. And it was the, maybe this... I have a lot of PTSD, but it it was one of the scarier things I'd done. That was my choice. Like it was one of the first times I'd ever done something that terrified me intentionally. (laughs) And I like walked into it knowing that I was unhappy in my life in Boise and knowing that I needed a change. And in those 50 days, I got what I needed. Mm -hmm. But once we moved to 
uh, it was heartbreak. It was so hard moving. Uh, like the first place I felt like I fit and I felt like I brought myself and myself fit like to be ripped away from that. I, I have the utmost respect for the entirety of the staff at NTI, but like we were given like 48 hours to be off campus. And it was like mm. that, that, That's... that company meeting where they told us we were going home. I mean, that, it just, it hurts so bad. Like sitting with 33 people I loved, like loved and being like, okay, buy your ticket home. And just like crying with that. Like it was, a, it was a lot. And then it wasn't like, okay, now you're all getting on your bus and you're going home. It was like people all booked their own flights. So it was one by one, You, we all would say goodbye to people, you know? And Kayla and I actually took the same shuttle to the airport. And so I, I Kayla was the last person I said goodbye to. And I gave her a scrunchie of mine. And I said like, give this back to me when you see me again, um, which I don't remember doing, but that makes my heart warm. Yeah. But it was, and then once we were on Zoom, it was just hard. It was just like, it felt like I was doing this with my skill. I was like going up and up and up the whole time I was there. And then once we moved to Zoom, I was just fighting to keep my skill level at what it was. Mm -hmm. And I really had to accept like, this is a really traumatic global event and you're not yeah. at your best right now. And you just need yeah. to be okay with that. Yeah. I don't think we understood like the scale of it too. Cause like, it, it, like those early days were just like, oh yeah, this is just a couple of weeks or whatever. But it's like, we're at a point now, whether we like it or not, uh, where things are slowly starting to open up again and you know, um, restrictions are going up. I, I'm personally going to wear my mask, even though I'm vaccinated and everything, but it's just like one of those things where this has been a year, a mm -hmm. whole year. And like, it's still going to like affect us. Like, honestly, I see us locking down again, even though with all these restrictions happening, which is the sad thing, but I guess like in retrospect, like, yeah, you were probably sad, but like, I, get, I don't think your brain even comprehended like the future no. <laughs> of like what was going to go on. Well, I remember I, yeah, I flew into Boise and my then, my then boyfriend like hadn't responded to me for like three days over text, like, cause he was messy, but <laughs> um, he picked me up for me. Air, yeah yeah especially 20 year olds oh my god but my parents were like if you fly across country like you can't come home you need to quarantine when you get home like we don't want you in our house um why would you fly cross country right now there's a pandemic I was like I don't have anywhere else to go so yeah. I spent I spent five days I think at my boyfriend then boyfriend's house um pretty much just like drunk the whole time I was like I this is the what the fuck is going on can I cuss? Oh, yeah. You can absolutely <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I was I was so like, I don't even understand this. Like, I don't even know. Like, I am here in Boise. And 48 hours ago, I was in Connecticut having no intention of being in Boise. And I don't know what's going on. I can't see my family. Like, what is happening? All of like, Boise shut down all the restaurants. So then like all my friends lost their jobs on the same day. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, it's wild that it happened. Yeah. And then it's been a year now. Mm -hmm. It's been a year. That's for sure. Like, yeah, I'm very grateful for my position and I had like, like hours were cut back, but I didn't lose my job. So I still work at the same job. So I'm, I'm very grateful. At least like I had my job, even though a lot of my theater opportunities were gone. Um, yeah. Keep it on a light note, and we're going to get to you here in just a second. 
I'm get very curious about your, how did you, like, how did you know you were, like, how did your phone interview the artistic director of NTI, which I can't remember her name, Rachel but like, Jett, my love. Rachel Jett. Yeah, yeah, Rachel Jett. What was your response? Because I have a really funny story about that. Like, okay. what was her response? I, I have a funny story too, since. Okay, yeah, go ahead. So, Maybe Rachel Jett will watch this too, and she could be like, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> so. My, that year of college, I, I was still a designer, unhappy, Mm -hmm. but working really a lot. And I teched seven shows in one semester. So basically every other week was a different tech week for me. Um, And I was coaching middle school cheerleading, which I think, and once people learn I coached cheerleading, they're like, oh, that explains her like as a human, but I got in a bike wreck. My, um, I was on my way home from, I was on my way to a rehearsal from coaching and I just wrecked my bike in the Walgreens parking lot. This, this relates, I promise. I shattered my cheekbone, tore my lip in half, knocked four of my teeth out. Like I was a mess. I got eight stitches in my face. I have a pretty sick lip scar. This is gory. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, keep going. And I went to the ER and like got stitches, got drugs. Um, and then I went to tech, like, <laughs> because I was teching, I was the lighting designer. So I like rolled up with my face, like, oh, oh no, my, I look like, yeah. Anyway, so that was the week of my interview. And so like three days after it's 10 AM and I'm on the phone with Rachel Jett on some drugs on like whatever they gave you, whatever they give you when you knock four of your teeth out of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was such a, like, I was so stressed. I don't get stressed about interviews usually, but I was like a mess. Like literally my face was not fully a face. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's fair. No. I was, I, and Rachel, like the first thing she asked me, she was like, so what are you working on right now? And I was like, I never had anybody ask me that. <laughs> I was like, because everybody just figured I'm always working on something. I was such an overcommitter um, pre pre pandemic, but I was like, Oh, you know, I'm in tech week right now. And then I have another tech week next week. And then I'm teching this other show in three weeks. And uh, yeah, like just a lot of design. And she's like, Oh, do you like, do you want to be a designer? And I was like, no. <laughs> and she was like, <laughs> like, so why are you doing all of it? And I was like, because I'm an overcommitter. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then she went on to talk. She's like, okay, so what's your, what's your dream project? And those two questions, like they were questions I felt like none of my professors at Boise State had ever cared to ask me, like, do you Mm -hmm. want to do this? And what is your dream project? And I'm, I'm Romani American. My dad's side of the family is uh, from Hungary, but they're Romani. Um, and, they uh, (laughs) I've always wanted to rewrite the hunchback of Notre Dame um as from Esmeralda's point of view because Esmeralda is really important to me as a young Romani girl but also it's a horrible depiction of a culture (laughs) oh yeah so I that's what I told her I was like yeah I want to rewrite hunchback and do like a bootleg hunchback from Esmeralda's point of view and like that's what I want to do and Rachel instead of being like you're gonna do a bootleg hunchback she was like you must, you must do that. And that's oh. when I was like, oh, they've got me. I want this. I want this so bad. <laughs> like, I yeah. want to go somewhere where I'm encouraged to rip off the hunchback. Yeah. Um, 
so that's my interview. Yeah. So, so similar questions that Rachel was asked me, but like, I, I'm very detailed. So I Mm -hmm. like, I know exactly what I want to do. Like, and I will find every single way to do it, no matter what, like do a play, do a play in a bar. I will fucking find a way to do it. And I did. I do. I did it. I did a play mm-hmm. in a in a bar. Like it was a ten minute play, and I produced it and uh, directed it, and I cast it and everything. And like I t- like worked with Patty Tully. Shout out to Patty for giving us the space for free. And she was like, "What are you currently working on right now?" I was like, "Oh, I was the assistant director for It's a Wonderful Life." And uh, I I don't know if I mentioned that I had my own theater company, like Theater Troupe, uh, that mm-hmm. I founded. But like that's I think that's what I told her like that I was working on right now. And she's like, what is your dream project? And then I, I went into detail because like I had several ideas and she wasn't basically like, she didn't tell me like, oh, you must, you know, or like any, like, you know, the artistically thing like that. I just Mm -hmm. went into detail about this one project that I had, uh, Jordan Tannehill, shout out to Jordan, who I really went on the show. Yeah. Jordan, you know, Jordan Tannehill. No, I just want to give a shout out. He wrote theater for the unimpressed. Um, one of my favorite people. He didn't want to be on the show, but he respectfully declined. And but I really, really, really want him on the show really bad. Anyway, <laughs> um, he has a series of plays, um, series of one act plays. Essentially, like they're queer stories, and mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to adapt those plays. Um, and I, I don't remember what the pitch was because like I was very passionate about, about the idea back then, but life happens and new ideas mm-hmm. came. Um, I didn't even mention like at the time I wasn't even thinking about the grant that I applied for to do the children, the theater for youth thing that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And she basically, she gave my acceptance letter on the phone. Like, like she was like, we look forward to seeing you thrive at NTI. And I was like, uh, in my brain, I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah, that's that's great. Thank you so much for the interview. And then I hung up the phone. And I was like, wait a minute. Did I just get accepted? And I was like, no, like I was like, no, wait, hold up. Stop, stop. Like, let's wait for the actual letter. So I'm waiting for the actual letter, even though in my brain, I'm like, I'm accepted, right? Like the the artistic director of NTI said, we look forward to seeing you thrive at NTI. And I'm just like, that has to mean something. <laughs> like, right? I was like, it's yeah. crazy. But the yeah, fact that know. she said that the fact that she said that, like, that's I, I don't know. It, it was always a big ego booster for me. Like, as someone that is, who that is so lovely, though. Like, that is so what a wonderful experience. Yeah. The like the interview was so easy because I'm just very good at like again, I'm tooting my own horn here, but I'm very good at like thinking of I think too much. Like it's the Jesuit education. Like I blame the Jesuits for <laughs> the self-reflection. Like if anything that Gonzaga taught me was self-reflection <laughs> for everything. Right. I got my acceptance email. I'd had a weird phone call with this, the financial aid people where they're mm-hmm. like, okay, so we need to figure out how you're going to pay for it. But I hadn't been gotten an acceptance yet, but I was like, okay, but I'm having detailed conversations about my scholarships right now. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get those. I like you and Kayla got them, but I think I was pretty much like honest with them. I'm like, 
hey, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this, <laughs> you know? So any scholarship, shout out to Lin-Manuel Miranda for like the Brown People scholarship that he has, you know, like I got that one, you know what I mean? Like, uh, love Lynn, but um, I had so many, like I got, I was eligible for a lot of scholarships and it would have been like, if I had my full-time job when I was doing NTI, I would have been much more comfortable paying mm-hmm. for it, but yeah. life happens. I was, I was able to get, yeah, I was able to get quite a bit of it paid for. And then I used, I, I was able to finagle my Boise state financial aid to pay for what was left. Yeah. But I do like, uh, that's one, the one downside of the pandemic semester is I was like, wow, I'm still paying for this and I'm doing this on zoom and I feel lame about it, but like, yeah. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it also right. financially, I was like, well, but I still, I'm, I'm thinking of applying to go back. So. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Um, we spoke for the last 30 minutes about this stuff. So I'm ready to like get into you because wayward artists, this is wayward artists in the wayward world where each and every Sunday I sit with a wayward artist and we talk about a person we're thankful for. It's based on Jared Petty's podcast, Pockets Full of Soup, which I essentially stole his idea, but I'm, I think I'm very close to getting like a connection to him. So I'm hoping I can like talk to Jared and maybe we'll be on his show soon. Who knows? I paid a lot of money actually. Like that's one of his tiers is like pay $500 a month and you can like be on on a guest on the episode. And I think it's limited, but I also mentioned in my message on Patreon, it's like, yeah, I can't afford this all the time, but I really, really want to be, I need to get your attention here because like we're doing Mm -hmm. all this big stuff. A couple of announcements, housekeeping for everybody. Um, We've announced two shows. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, they have already been announced. But the first episode, the first new spinoff show for Wayward Artists in the Wayward World is we are going to do an analysis of every single episode of the Book of Boba Fett in the fall when it comes out. Um, there might be guests on the show. Um, it'll be fun. Yeah. Do you want to be on the show? Like, do you want to be? A- yes. Yeah. We can. Yeah. Are you a Star Wars yeah. fan? Yeah. Okay. I love let's, TV. Let, let's talk later because there's a couple of people who are very interested. The next uh, the next spinoff show, which is coming really soon and in celebration of Pride Month for one of the, the queer MCU characters, uh, we're going to do a, a similar analysis for Loki, the, the, Marvel mo- the Marvel TV show coming on Disney Plus in June. So that's coming up really soon. I'm very excited for that. Um, and then we have a couple other spinoff shows coming up, but... Got to wait for a few more things. I'm waiting on those. Also, uh, we have merch. Go to our merch store. I I don't have a direct link, but if you go to waywardworldpodcast.com, you'll be able to like go to our merch store, buy a shirt. Like that would be fun. Like a couple of people bought shirts. I, I'm not wearing my Wayward Artist shirt, but like it's super cool. It's just the logo of the show. Um, and then, oh yeah, make sure. Oh, that's right. We're on YouTube now. This episode is going to go live on YouTube the same day as like the audio versions are. So that's going to be really exciting to have that. Like people get to see people's faces like Grace right here or, or this way. I don't know. <laughs> um, get to see me respond to all the announcements as if they're just for me. I'm like, oh, yeah, all my merch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, another thing about merch for you specifically, Miss Guess, um, which we'll get into later. But um, Grace. I'm going to ask the question that I ask each and every person on this show. Tell me someone you're thankful for. Today, I am thankful for my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad. We usually have like, either it's mom, either it's dad, I, but not a lot of both. 
you know, like, so like, I'm very excited about that because, um, parents are cool, especially like good parents, <laughs> which, you know, like uh, I've had a lot of like issues with parents, but I love my mom and stuff. So, um, tell me a little bit about your parents and who they are. Yeah. My mom and my dad, um, Allie and Travis, and I often refer to them from, for first name for like comedy effect, but then people are like, who are you? Is that like your stepdad? I'm like, no, it's just Trav. Like, it's just my dad. <laughs> but uh, they are musicians. And my parents, they were in a rock band until my younger brother Guthrie was born. So for the first 10 years of my life, my parents were rock musicians. And now they do like folk rock acoustic. Um, and they are great musicians. My mom is also a science teacher. They're great people. They're like loving, giving people. And they, uh, they taught me to like, always, always pick your art, like never let anybody tell you, you need to be a lawyer. Instead, my parents were like, of course, pick your art. It's part of who you are. And they're also just the model of kindness. Like, I don't know. I have so many stories. I hope I get to tell some Allie and Travis stories because they're oh, so wild. Tell, tell, they're wild. Tell, every, tell every, every one of them. I want to hear it. Here's my, okay, time. I'll start, I'll start with a story, um, from, <laughs> this is, okay, so my name is Grace Ward, my middle name for most of my life I've thought was Elaine, um, because my parents named me after a flower called the Grace Ward Lithodora, which is a little tiny blue flower, and so they named me Grace because, like, how rad is it that there's a Grace Ward flower, and they both worked at a greenhouse when I was born, which I now work at the same greenhouse, um, because I needed a summer job. Um, <laughs> but they named me Grace Ward. They wanted me to have an E middle name so I could be Gracie if I wanted to. So I'm literally Gracie. But I was looking at my passport a few months ago and I was like, hey, why does it say my first name is Grace Elaine? Um, like, Elaine's my middle name. And then I was looking at my driver's license and I was like, why does it say my first name is Grace Elaine? And then I was looking at my debit card and one of my debit cards says Grace E, middle initial word. One of them says Grace Elaine Ward. And I was like, uh-oh, school records, it's Grace E Ward. Birth certificate, it's Grace Elaine Ward. And I was like, oh God. Um, so I was like, hey, like, is Elaine my, my first name? Like, am I Grace Elaine Ward? Or is Elaine my middle name? And they were like, well, it's, and they gave me two different answers. And I was like, Allie and Travis like what's my what's my name <laughs> and this is why 22 year olds shouldn't have babies um yeah. respect if you choose to but I was like team like who are you <laughs> who am I um but I love it sometimes I'm Grace sometimes I'm Grace Elaine sometimes I'm Gracie but they are just they're such kooky people they have a huge garden they have rock bands they I grew up on tour with them so I grew up touring uh, town to town with their band and I just I'm I'm amazed by their ability to have a conversation with anyone even people they have nothing in common with even people you know we drove through a lot of small town America um and they're both from a small town in North Idaho um and my dad's family's Hungarian but I'm amazed at their ability to just connect with anybody, even if it's someone they vehemently disagree with, like they're able to use like music and their position as musicians to really connect in with people. And it, it's like, it inspires me as a lot as an artist. And they also support me 
endlessly, like endlessly as an artist. And they have no, they, they can't support me financially, but they support me in like, we're proud of you, Grace. Like we believe in you. We believe in you as a writer. Um, and like, I think a lot of writers just wish their parents would say that, but like mine do. Yeah, it, it, it can't be really understated, like how much like support from your parents like means to a lot of people. Like it's so like monetary stuff is great. You know, like, you know, if, um, if like my family can like support the fact that I want to be in a master's program, you know, like in paper at all, that would be super dope. But like, I think like what everybody needs is like that affirmation because like it could be yeah. it's it's so hard to be an artist and like trying to validate yourself in this entire world and you look to your parents as a way to be affirmed you know like hey mom and dad like I don't really feel I don't know what I what like what to do <laughs> and like this um this society that you know like seeing like a playwright or a screenwriter and just being like what okay so what is your real job or something like that. And, and it's so cool to know that like your parents have been like super supportive of all that. Like, um, yeah. have they, um, how did they meet? Because like you said, they were in their twenties. Like, like, how did it, like, how did they initially meet? And like, how did you come into this world? Like, it's, especially, it's <laughs> like, like, we, like, uh, we know, I know, you know what I mean? But like, you know, I, <laughs> I, what I mean is like, you know, how did they essentially meet? And like, did they get, were they married? Like when you were like conceived? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm very yeah, curious so about they, that. They are from the same small town, Sandpoint, Idaho, which is really close to Spokane. It's close to you. Um, but okay. they, my, uh, my parents, my mom's dad was the doctor like the town physician and my mom's mom was a nurse so both healthcare professionals my mom had some money growing up she rode horses she's a six years younger than my dad um but it's a small small town and my mom has like 10 aunts and uncles on her mom's side and one of her uncles was best friends with my dad's uncle um and my dad's set my dad's family my dad's mom Hungarian Romani grew up in a Romani household and got pregnant with my dad when she was 19 and had to marry my grandpa because that would I mean not that's not that's not unique to Romani culture that like you should marry your baby daddy and she had a lot of pressure to do that so she got married really young and my dad's family lived um they did not have much money and my grandma's marriage was really tumultuous but so it was kind of just my grandma and my dad. And so my parents had very different upbringings in the same small town. Um, and my grandpa, like my mom's dad, remembers when my dad's dad died, like remembers my dad's dad, like going into the hospital um, when he passed away. Like, it's weird how much crossover there was in their lives. My dad, at one point when he was a kid, got a moth stuck in his ear um, and that's Idaho um (laughs) my my mom's dad was the one the doctor who got the moth out of it out of my dad's ear um just all this weird like crossover in their lives but they didn't actually meet until my dad was I think my dad was in his mid-20s and my mom was um in college she was early 20s and they met they met at a bar they shout out to Penn Gillies bar downtown um (laughs) but my mom was doing her laundry and my dad was at the bar and she got a beer and they met and then they um hung out one time and my mom's cat followed my dad home (laughs) and uh and then yeah they're and they got married they got married pretty quick um the story goes I have a great um 
my one of my Hungarian uncles, Steve, came into town and Steve wanted to go meditate in the forest. And so my dad drove Steve up to the woods to meditate. And um, while Steve was meditating, my dad was like, I want to propose to Allie. And so my dad drove down the mountain, proposed to my mom, and then disappeared into the woods for another night to go hang out with Steve. He like drove back up the mountain. was like, yep, we're getting married. And uh, yeah, so they, I happened, they got married. My mom was beautiful. She looks like uh, Audrey Hepburn. She's got like these big brown eyes and she also kind of, they both look like 15, like in all the pictures. And then I happened six months later or nine months later. Yeah, I was pretty quick. I was a quick turnaround, but I was the first of their friends, kids, the first of their friends, they were the first to have a baby. And I came kind of before everybody else's babies. Like um, my brothers have a lot of friends their age in the music community, but not a lot of people in my parents' age group were having kids. Um, so I was kind of the punk rock baby and they just brought me around at all the, all the shows, all the concerts. I was, I was there and yeah. So those are my first memories are music concerts. My ninth birthday, my parents got a gig opening for Nico Case and they were like, Gracie, can we can we have your birthday party at the Nico Case concert? I was like nine. I was like, sure. And so <laughs> that's what we did. Like uh, weird first memories. Yeah. I I I dream of becoming like the the weird queer dad, you know, like and just like I don't know, like not necessarily taking my kid to a drag show, which is like the most stereotypical queer thing I could do. But like, I just like, I'm really excited to be a father one day and just like show him all this weird stuff that I like know <laughs> and do like having this podcast, like my potential like children are going to see this and just be like, oh, our dad, <laughs> our dad did this. Like our dad is on TV. Like I, I was an extra on TV and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like, uh, you can see me pretty, like I'm on Netflix actually. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I can like do that. Like I was an extra. So like, mm-hmm. um, but like my extra role was pretty not prominent and you can actually like see me. So, um, I think like stuff like that is so cool. Especially it sounds like your parents are really cool. I'm the one thing I'm like really interested about is your Romani culture. I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever met any Romani people before. Yeah, you well, know, like, there's not. Yeah, besides, like, uh, obviously, you know, hearing, like, you know, the, the G slur and, like, what that mm-hmm. represents and stuff like that. But, um, like, I'm very curious to know about, like, how culture was affected in your parents' relationship, especially since I'm, I come from culture, too. Yeah, well, yeah, so my dad's grandparents were Holocaust refugees um, because during, well, in, in Romani, it's called the Parashmos. Um, Holocaust is the word assigned to it afterwards by Western people, but, you know, um, it, for Yiddish, it's the Shoah, and for Romani, it's Parashmos, but they're Parashmos immigrants. They came, my great-grandfather, I think, someone, he was uh, in Terezin concentration camp, and then he escaped and he was like protesting and then he got stabbed um, for being, he was called a war criminal. I had an uncle who was all the, they were in Bohemia, which was a country and they, all of them were conscripted into the military. And so one of my uncles like broke his sergeant's legs and like escaped. And then they were kind of on the run through um, Europe 
uh, Romani people have been persecuted forever for a mm. long time. So there's not good documentation, but we think they went through France and then got to Chicago. And my gram, my dad's grandma, Eva, was left in France um, because she had pneumonia. She was a little baby. And so then when she was 10 in the uh, late 40s, she came over alone as a 10 year old girl in Chicago and found her family in Chicago. Um, mm -hmm. And then I had a couple uncles who played in brass bands in Chicago and were uh, big band players. And then they tried their luck farming up in North Dakota and then eventually landed in Idaho. Um, and so my grandma was raised, uh, she's born in America, but she was raised in a very um, secluded home where it might as well have been Eastern Europe because of how distanced they were from the rest of the world. And then my dad is a part of that generation of people who are um, 80s, 80s Holocaust refugees. It's kind of a weird phenomenon of gen gen generational trauma where then my grandma tried to raise my dad as not Romani as possible to uh, keep him sheltered from all of that trauma. And then uh, when my generation came about, we're kind of at a point of new acceptance of the culture and acceptance of the history. Um, and yeah, some of my family is more Hungarian than others. Some of them are more Romani than others, but it's kind of a, because of the trauma on Romani culture, it is really hard to be like, oh, you're half Romani or you're a quarter Romani. It's not about blood. And, you know, in the persecution of Romani people, it wasn't ever about like, how Romani are you? It's like, this is your culture, get out of Europe. Um, and so the, the uh, it's interesting having my grandmother who was raised so deeply in the culture, but doesn't speak the language. But then I have an aunt who like pretends she does and just like has an accent. And it's like, where's your accent from Dink? Like what? Um, it's, yeah, it's interesting, but it's, a, it's an important part of it's an important part of like me growing up because my dad was so, so unwilling to connect in with his culture and with his heritage, even though it was such a, you know, he was largely raised by his grandparents too. Like this huge, this huge amount of trauma in the household my dad grew up in, but he was so sheltered from it that then it's hard to talk to my dad about it too. And, and when I'm, I'm the oldest girl, I'm the first girl, I'm blonde. I don't look very Romani, <laughs> but they were like, my grandma, it was really important to her that it was part of, I knew about this part of me because it's, um, you know, you just mentioned you haven't met any Romani people. And that's because, because of the Parashmos, the culture has been so widespread that there are very few people who are like full Romani anymore. And it's kind of like, a, we've got to keep what this part of us alive. And we also have to accept, like, because I grew up in America and I'm a blonde little white girl. Um, yeah. It's also like, I, I am very privileged versus people who are Romani living in Europe. And yeah, it's just like, it's a part of who I am. And yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. It, it kind of like, it's sad. That's very sad. I mean, it reminds me a lot of like, you know, what we've done to Native Americans, you know, like a lot of them don't have like their culture with them anymore because of the persecution and like the genocide 
that the American, like Americans have done, like white American Europeans have done to the Native Americans in this country. And so like, you know, talking about Romani, I didn't know Romani like had a connection like with like uh, Judaism and like the Holocaust. And like, that's really interesting to hear that like, yeah, I mean, Jews and have been persecuted like in World War II and like what was going on over there is like, obviously it's awful, like the Holocaust and everything. So like, I'm very like, I, I appreciate you like talking about it a little bit, <laughs> especially, yeah. Uh, yeah, I coming from Saudi Arabia, it's very anti-Semitism. Uh, There's a lot of anti-Semitism over there, like specifically towards uh, Jewish people. And I kind of grew up around that. And granted, I never really subscribed, I feel like to the, like that ideal ideology, but like I never met um, a Jewish person before. And um, like, I got to like meet a couple of like Jew Jewish people and it's like, they're cool people, you know, like, yeah. yeah, like a lot of like Jewish culture is like really interesting. And like, I'm, it sucks that like we continue to like treat them so badly, you know, like whether it's the Romanian culture or like, you know, people who are just, you know, Jew like uh, of the Jewish faith, you know? Yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's so hard to navigate too, because um, half, half of the world's Romani population died during the Holocaust. Um, and that like, that's, that's such a massive number to process, like to like one out of two. Um, and it's like, it's hard to explain, you know, and people are like, I've never met a Romani person or, you know, some people don't even believe that like, it's real, like it's real culture. It's like, no, like you just eliminated literally half <laughs> like yeah. it's it's gone like and there's so much that is gone um and that's why like I Esmeralda is has always been an important character to me because I'm like look at her I have her right here um a little yeah. thing of her and it's also like a culturally inaccurate depiction but it's the only one I had um and it's like also, like I've had conversations with friends of mine who are women of color. Um, I have a friend who's Mexican who she was like, I love Esmeralda. And I like have always loved her because she was the first brown girl I ever saw, like speaking up for herself, like demanding justice. And I was like, yeah. And, you know, as someone who is who's white, like Esmeralda is important to me in one way as a white Romani woman. But like she's also important to a lot of people in a lot of ways. And mm -hmm. even though that depiction is culturally inaccurate like I don't believe it should be taken away from people because oh, yeah. it's also all we have like it's such a such a weird thing to navigate and I feel like a lot of indigenous people and a lot of Jewish people end up in that same boat where they're like well all we've got is not very good but I don't want it to be gone yeah I feel the same way about Aladdin <laughs> you know like as yeah. a kid as a kid like I it never really crossed my mind of being like oh yeah this is like an inaccurate depiction of Arabs I'm like I just I was just really excited that they said Arabic words sometimes in the Aladdin movie like one or two times mm -hmm. and I'm like oh dang no that, that's I say that you know like that's that's yeah. really super dope like I liked I like that and like watching the uh the live action Aladdin movie actually where they kind of go a little bit more deeper they uh hired um the guy who played Aladdin I can't remember his name he's an Egyptian actor and it's just like that's super cool like like it, it wasn't a hundred percent correct because there was some Bollywood influences and I'm like oh that's mixing Arabs and Bollywood up but it's like mm -hmm. you know I'm gonna give it to you because I'm really enjoying this and Will Smith says um 
brush up your Friday salam because like in the actual cartoon they say brush up your Sunday salam and I'm like dude mm-hmm. it's like Arabs like you know like Muslims specifically like Friday is their Sunday so it's like mm-hmm. they took that into account like oh well he says Friday like, like he says Friday yeah. like I, I'm not Muslim anymore but like I thought like still that was like really cool to see and also mm-hmm. um the little rap he does you know the Will Smith rap you know uh he, in one of the lyrics like it was like a spinoff of like friend like me but like DJ Khaled was in it you know Arabs you know you gotta you gotta put DJ Khaled in there <laughs> somewhere um Will Smith says like you know Habibi let me show you the dream and he says Habibi you know like ah that's like small things but like I yeah. understand like I can understand like maybe another Arab person can be like oh I hate Aladdin because of the representation or whatever and I'm like you know that's absolutely fair I know there's like a playwright who did a show called uh, Disgrace which was heavily criticizing like the Islamic religion. And for mm-hmm. me, when I read that as someone who is a convert, like converted to like, a, a, to be an agnostic, I vibed with it. Cause I'm like, oh man, this he's kind of saying all the same things that I felt about Islam, you know, granted, yeah. I wouldn't, I would never like, I would never like force anybody to like think otherwise or what have you, or like try to change people's minds. But then I spoke to other Middle Eastern like theater artists and they're like, dude, this play's awful because it depicts exactly like there's because there's no representation out there for Arabs. Mm-hmm. And like this is the representation. This is like affirming people's belief about Arabs. And I'm like, yeah. oh, this is uh, actually bad. <laughs> this yeah. is actually a well, bad play because that makes sense. And that's so that's so challenging. I remember like similar things like um, in the in the Hunchback musical they mm-hmm. there's a there's a lyric where uh, uh, I don't know any of their names one of the guys who is Romani he goes Romani again will roam I was like wow you're using the, the word and not the slur I'm so yeah. proud of you for not using a racial slur like what <laughs> yeah. where how low is my bar or Esmeralda has like green eyes and it's you know a lot of people would argue like yeah it's just like fetishizing like a brown girl but I'm like yeah but a lot of Romani people have green eyes and the Romani people came originally out of South Asia out of the northern part of um, India in the 1300s they left India and came into Europe and were persecuted there so like if you trace the genealogy back it is South Asian and so the fact that um, uh, like Esmeralda is so brown and just like the shape of her face like that's important to the but also like the bars on the floor and they like use and like all anyone who's not Esmeralda, but is Romani is like a caricature. And it's like, ah, the bars on the floor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. with theater, it's like, there's just no writing with Romani characters and like mm-hmm. uh, with like Middle Eastern representation as well. Like, I'm sure it's, it's, you know, it's growing, but it's also like, we shouldn't just have one play. Like we shouldn't, the only role for Romani women should not be Esmeralda. Like we need more. Exactly. I mean, like I've always wanted to do an interpretation of Mother Courage using um, people of color, like specifically Arabs. Cause like, I feel like a lot of what Mother Courage experiences is similar to like what's going on in the Middle East right now, especially with like Palestine and like what's going on over there and like something like Palestine has been going on for years. And I think it would be cool to kind of explore the characters from that perspective. Um, where was I going to go with this? Oh, um, couple of, one off topic thing. I want to go back to your parents. Um, do you know Josh Castile? No. 
Well, he was in the production of Hunchback at Fifth Avenue Theater, where he oh, was like, he was he played Quasimodo as a deaf person, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was. Um, that's how I met him, and like that's like I, it was that production. I thought it was like super cool. But anyway, I thought you knew. <laughs> He's actually yeah. on the show. He talks about Quasimodo actually a little bit. So really, oh my gosh, yeah. I've got. To- Listen yeah, you gotta listen yeah i love josh i always bring him up because he's a he's a really good he's a really great artist josh um, do you want to help me with my my twisted uh hunchback where i flip <laughs> it on its head and make esmeralda the main character <laughs> well josh. well yeah we'll see <laughs> like, um, uh... yeah <laughs> but anyway um back to your parents um in what ways have they supported you like in your art, like I grant you, mm-hmm. you, always, you mentioned a lot, like, oh yeah, they've, they've always been, I'm very grateful that they're supportive and everything. Like what's one story or like one way that they really helped you, you think, or like they're the yeah. contributing factor into you, mm-hmm. some of your artistic decisions. Hmm. Well, there's more than one story. I'm going to ramble. Um, okay. So in high school, I was a cheerleader and I did not want to be an artist. I, growing up touring with your parents and kind of just seeing the nitty gritty of life as an artist, I was really off put by it. I was like, I don't want my art to be my entire, like who I am as a human. And I see (laughs) that in order to be a professional artist, that's kind of something you've got to do. And like, I don't know if I'm willing to do that. And so I was kind of in denial for a long time and my major goal I wanted to be a foreign service officer I wanted to be a diplomat um and I love I love foreign policy I'm so interested in it it's like a passion study of mine I love history and it seeps its way into my writing but when I was a senior in high school I didn't apply to oh my scarf I didn't apply to any colleges I just applied to the state department program um called uh NISLI which is a national security language initiative and so um it was and I got in I got the full ride scholarship to go study in India um and it was kind of foreign service prep and then my grandpa got really sick and I was a senior in high school I was not applied to any schools I was pretty dead set on this foreign policy route and I was like I can't do it like I can't I can't in my right mind move to India when my grandpa has like six months to live. Um, my grandpa's a really important part of my life. He's my dad's, technically my dad's stepdad, but he's like so important to my grandma, like finding healing and finding her culture. Like I love my grandpa. And like the thought of not being able to come back for a funeral was like, I couldn't do it. And so May of my senior year, I just, I was like, mom, dad, like I'm not going. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to apply to Boise State because I know I'll get in. It's my only option. And then I proceeded to, I turned down my spot and I felt like I was making the most stupid decision ever. And my parents were like, Gracie, we believe in you. Like, we know you're going to be okay. Like you are strong. You are going to figure it out. And so then this summer proceeded and I, um, I got super sick. I had this, I'm, I'm really glad I didn't move to India because I got a, a full bronchial infection. Um, and then I, I ended up being in a, Toxic relationships are like a theme for me, but I had a really, um, really fucked experience with a person at a party and I was not in a trauma place to heal and to move to India. And so by the time I was starting college, I was a hot mess and my parents were like, move into the dorms, study whatever you want. 
you've got this. We believe in you. And they just really were like, we believe that you've got this. And I was like, I don't got this. Like I am having panic attacks every day. I can't sleep. I have nightmares. I'm sick. I am like a mess. And they were like, just go. Like, we know, like you are going to fly. You just need to leave the nest. And so I was like, okay. So I moved into the dorms. I met my best friend whose name is Marissa. And when Marissa says when she met me, she was like, oh, this girl's dropping out. Like this girl is not staying in college. Like she is a, she's a nightmare. And I was like, I was a hot mess of a human for my two first two weeks of college. And my dad and I started getting lunch every Thursday. We went to this Basque restaurant we love and we got lunch and we talk and that was like they were like you can't come home you can't quit like and I mean I my family lives in Boise so I just went to I was literally like five blocks away but they they encouraged me and I was studying anthropology and I hated it and I was like why do I hate this like I thought this is what I wanted was to be a a, like study this stuff and my my roommate Marissa was like you did theater in high school like take a theater class with me she was a theater major and I was like okay so I took a class called play analysis and I changed my major halfway through the semester and I was like I'm doing this I'm doing theater and my parents were like you know like we figured you would (laughs) you just needed to you needed to find it again um and I I did and I spent like eight months of that year just finding it again and my parents never stopped believing that I would and then I was home for Christmas and they were like, Gracie, like, we figured you were going to study theater. They're like, we're glad you didn't move to India because you would have just realized you wanted to do theater there. And then that spring of my freshman year, I um, I got everything aligned so I could skip a year of college. And I was like, here I go. Like, I am doing this. I've got to fix my scarf. Um, That's okay. Do whatever. But I was like, I am doing this. I'm going to college for theater. And then the rest is history. Um my parents also mental health wise have been the biggest the biggest support i could ever have asked for because they never stopped believing in me um and a lot of people have that experience where they have to like admit to their parents that they're studying <laughs> arts and i i i never had that moment like my parents were just like yeah go for it like this is what you want to do and they also like they haven't always been able to make it to every show because they're working artists themselves, but they like, I just, I never had any doubt that they believed I could do it. And even when I didn't think I could do it, they, they did. And that like, it's incredible how powerful that is. And then this last spring, I ended a, a toxic relationship. I, my mental health, tanked I finally like had to start coming to terms and doing like real trauma work with just some of the more traumatic parts of my life and I you know was living at home with my parents and I just like I didn't write for like three months I didn't touch it I didn't touch any writing and my parents never they never fucking stopped being like you're a writer Gracie like you were a writer you're gonna write beautiful stories and you've got this and I don't know like what compelled them to not give up on me except for maybe they know I'm just as stubborn as they are and that I'd get back on my feet eventually. But yeah, actually yesterday um, I found out that one of my plays that I wrote in quarantine, that's about my grandma. um, We're going to be producing it at the Minnesota Fringe Festival in August. um, And my parents were both there. I was sitting in the living room and I found out and they gave me like a group hug. Like I was like a little kid. They like 
hugged me in and it was like dad on one side mom on the other and they're like we're so proud of you and I was like god I just thanks for not giving up on me team they're yeah they're lovely even when they annoy the hell out of me they're lovely you know like it's like I mentioned before like you can't really like under like you you can underestimate like the importance of like parents support and uh like specifically when like it's something that's like hard for people to wrap their heads around maybe like do you think maybe um the fact that they were artists themselves and like they continue to do art like do you think maybe there was some sympathy there for you yeah yeah well and my dad my dad lost his dad when he was 17 um my dad's dad passed away and my dad's dad was a complicated man um and an abusive man but it was still hard for my dad to lose his father and so when my dad was my age he talks a lot about how he was a wreck mentally and wished someone had supported him and then eventually my dad found music and now it's part of who he is but it's really profound when I like walk through Boise because Boise is a big city it's growing so fast these days but when I'm walking through downtown, like I run into people on the street who I've known my whole life. Artists, artist people, people who are professional artists. My parents just raised me around professional artists my whole childhood. Those were the people, those were my babysitters, were like painters and writers. And like it's a it it really felt like I was raised by this team of artists who believed in me and my parents knowing that it's hard being a 20 year old artist like yeah there is like a sympathy and there's also like my mom one day I had a really rough day and she and I was sitting on my bed and she was like Gracie like you are you are like the pinnacle of resilience she's like I'm so proud of you for not ever giving up on yourself She's like, because how are you going to write about other people if you give up on yourself? And I was like, I don't believe you. Like in the moment, I wasn't ready to hear that. I wasn't, I didn't feel very resilient, but that's, that's what, that's what resilience is when you, you don't feel strong when you're being strong. But yeah, I think it's like the, it's powerful to have someone who just really tells you like, I'm proud of you. I believe in you. You've got this. And I, I strive to be that for other people who are not my children. Like, because I think, I think, I don't think it's unique to my parents being my parents. I think my parents do that for everyone in their life. I think they are like, you've got to support your friends. You've got to support your friend's art. You've got to support your friends as humans. You've got, you know, you show up for people. Um, because if you show up for life, life will show up for you. Um, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is just me gushing about no, my no, I happy think, no, happy childhood no like it's it's beautiful I mean like not like not to trauma dump on everybody right now but like I've I've been struggling like as an artist like especially like in theater like a a career that I think like that, that I don't think like for sure like I've been doing for the last five years I mean the last two years I haven't really done anything <laughs> because mostly pandemic but also like even the year leading up to the pandemic it was just like oh yeah I haven't directed a show since 2019 you know like I haven't actually directed a show since 2019 and it was like I identified as a director but I haven't done a single thing as a director and like it's hard especially like 
so there are times where I feel like the people like my support team feel very distant and like that's fair that's like understandable like they're busy they're going through their own thing but it's just like I just I feel like I'm in a place and therapy helps you know like talking to somebody maybe like yeah maybe my therapist isn't an artist but like you know he's a professional and he can like help me like dissect everything it's just like mm -hmm. I don't know where I am like in theater and like in the arts and it's just like it's it's nice that people support the fact that I need some space from theater, but it's just like, I don't really talk to anybody about, like, I'll tell people like why I feel like I don't want to do theater. And it's just like, oh, there's a lot of politics in theater that just like, I don't feel like it aligns with my, my viewpoints, you know, but then there's mm -hmm. also just like the fact that like the last couple things that like, that weren't my projects, that weren't my thing. I felt like completely disrespected and like, or at the very least, like they weren't things that um, fulfilled me. Like yeah. they weren't, they weren't doing anything for me. Like if I look at my acting resume, I'm just like, these roles suck. Like every single role I've ever had as an actor is awful, except for one role, which, you know, Psycho Beach Party, shout out to Jerry Shario. That was a really fun time. And I, that was a, pretty prominent role I had my first stage kiss in that show um with a guy you know it's like ugh, first like not only first uh I'm sorry that they came out as she came out as tra uh, trans just recently but um um uh, very awkward waters but at the time it was like first kiss ever <laughs> mm -hmm. um but um yeah, like I look at my resume, I'm like, all these roles just suck, you know, like, and I was going to be in a show, like I was going to be in the last days of Judas Iscariot in like mm -hmm. one of the most prominent roles I ever was going to ever have. And I don't think like I would ever have an opportunity to play, you know, one of the main characters in this, sh this show and it was going to be produced by a director that I really admire. And like, I still go to her for like advice and respect. And it was like, it was going to be a good time. Then the pandemic took it away. And it's just like, ah, oh, man. I don't think I'll ever get a role like this again. It's just like, I've been wallowing in my own thing. And I just, it's, I, I, I wish I had, I, I wish I like had more support. I, I wish I like reached out to more people. And that's, what's great about this podcast. It's like, I get to talk to artists about this stuff. It's like, yeah. I know like all y'all, like even you, like you've been going through your same like um, path of like, just trying to figure this whole crazy world out. I mean, yeah. it's, um, it's nice when we have like extremely supportive people, like no matter what, like, and, or help us show us the way, you know, like yeah. it's hard navigating life. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, that's, I, I struggle a lot with theater too, because I didn't grow up in the theater. I grew up in rock. Um, and I didn't like, I grew up, I don't always understand. I think theater has a producer's problem and I don't always understand how you can make art that is telling the story of humans if you don't make a safe space for humans and I don't understand like I feel like we have like a toxic lack of vulnerability in our industry and we don't like allow ourselves to be imperfect I'm directing a show right now and I made I had one-on-ones which which with each actor just so I could ask I was like tell me what is in your ideal rehearsal process what what does that look like? Tell me what it looks like. Tell me what makes a rehearsal process work for you. Um, it's like with sex when you're like, what's good for you? Like, what do you like? Like <laughs> rehearsals are like sex. Great. Yeah. Um, it's my, uh, but also like what makes a rehearsal process toxic for you? And the actors are all like, nobody's ever asked me that for before. I'm like what? 
but your whole job is rehearsing. Like your whole job is this. Why, why would we not want to make it a safe space for you? Mm-hmm. And I, I pivot between, I'm like, burn the industry down. We need the, all of this to be better. And also being like, I don't have the energy to make this better. Like this is broken. Um, and my poor parents, because I do, I talk to them I'm like this industry's fucked. It's messy. And I'm mad at it. And I don't understand it. And like, I had a, I worked on actually a three-part narrative podcast this last fall. And I was the only woman on the writer's team and I was executive producing along with two men. Um, I won't name names, but it was a rough, rough time because I felt just like, so I was like, this is why we don't have women in writer's rooms is because you bring them in to be your woman. And then you, you're like, yeah, do, do the girl stuff, write the girl stuff, write the women. I'm like, I'm not here to write the women. I'm here to write the story. And like, I like just feeling trampled on. And it's like, what, what am I doing? Like, what am I, this is not working for me. And it's, it's hard when you love a craft to also be like, this is not working. Um, and so I, I under that tumultuous relationship with theater is so it's, yeah, I feel like a lot of people are experiencing that right now. And we need, like, we need other artists to lift us up. But also it's important to have other artists who are like, this is what I believe our industry should be. And because I, like, we can't do it alone. Like we need one another and our parents. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, like, it's like going through what I'm going through right now. It's just like, you know, there's not a lot of queer Arabs in this space. And I'm just like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I do have all this experience and like these awards and like, you know, Rachel Jett believed in me, you know, like, it's like, I feel like this, like responsibility to like still be in this space. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like, and granted, like, I, I feel like I, I think of theater, like uh, a bad breakup, <laughs> you know, like it's right now it's like super toxic and we need our space, you know, but like, I, think I want to go back but like who knows like this podcast podcasting and online content has been fun to do like it's been very fulfilling because I'm creating that and like it, the episodes have been meaningful to a lot of people and they've been meaningful to me so I'm just like what if this was like it what if like what if somehow I, I get viral and I become a youtuber <laughs> or like yeah. one day or something crazy like that but it's also just like I feel like I want to still be in theater in some capacity and be somebody that other Arab people can look at and just be like, oh, wow, he did it. You know, like he's, he's out there. He's very proud of like mm-hmm. who he is and stuff like that, especially like coming from a background of not being like really proud and like being very conflicted about who I am. And a lot of it like was just my experience as a child and not having a very strong support system at the time. Um, so I'm really like, I know you said like, oh yeah, my perfect childhood and stuff like that. I'm sure there was hardships in your life, but like, I'm very, it's very nice to hear that. I love hearing like how parents are doing well for their children, like, you know, and what they're doing and like the stuff that like, you know, that like makes me happy. Like, oh yeah, maybe this kid's life isn't going to be like, at least the family side, like got their, has their back. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it, it doesn't feel like they're not being like thrown into the, into the ocean (laughs) or like Mm -hmm. thrown into like the, like the, the bull pit or something like that without any 
like, or the arena, I don't know what the analogy is. Like, you know, being like, you know, thrown into it without any like support. It's like, it's very, it it makes me feel hopeful. Yeah. And it also, I just, I hate method acting. And here's my analogy for why it's like, I don't believe that all the best art comes out of trauma. And I don't believe that that should be our expectation. Mm -hmm. And it's like, when I, when, when, COVID happened and we were all flying home people were I I had so many people tell me they're like but think how many how much good writing you're gonna get out of this I was like I don't want to write about it (laughs) like yeah like traumatic but I I like I want to believe that like good art and good artists don't have to come out of painful hurt and like deep trauma and also if you did like that that doesn't have to be what defines you as an artist is Mm -hmm. like it's like, um, oh my God, we we uh, we met with the director in London and I don't remember his name, but he was lovely. And he was talking about how as a director, like he's directed these two plays that are like narratives about um, black Jamaicans back to back and like won awards for them. And now he's like, I want to do Antigone, but people don't want me to do Antigone. They want me to do Top Dog Underdog. He's like, I don't want to do Top Dog Underdog. I want to do something fun. Like I'm allowed to have fun as an artist. Um, that's how I, I feel too. I'm like, well, damn, like we don't all need to be writing about our trauma. Like I want to write historical fiction. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, not because I feel a tangent going on. So like, uh, I'll only say like just a couple of things and I'll have you respond too. but I absolutely agree. Um, that was actually a question that my professor, Leslie Stimulus, I love her forever. Uh, amazing person. Um, she asked us that and like, you know, like does the best art come from trauma? And I was like, not like, like it was, I don't remember what my answer was at the time, but like my answer now to that question would be, no, it doesn't like have to be. I mean, like my truth, um, by the way, my dogs are barking. This microphone picks up a lot of things. So you might've heard like a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Sorry guys, we're going to invest into more equipment, but anyway, um, like my response to that, like, yeah, like my life was like, there was a lot of trauma in my life and I want to talk about that. And, you know, like I like doing fun stuff too, but I feel like uh, theater has been an outlet for me to like be able to talk about that, those things. But when I approach like the kids I mentor, like the older ones who want to inspire people, like who want to like talk about like these issues and stuff like that. I'm like, but like, you know, um, you know, inspiration specifically, I was like, what does that mean? They like, you want to inspire people. Like um, I think like if you put your best work forward, regardless of what you're doing, like, even if it's just a dumb play, like a fun, dumb play, like people are still going to be inspired by that. So it's just like the fact that you are here to tell like this story, whatever it is, like that is, that's going to inspire people. Like Star Wars inspires me like the, and Star Wars, like, you know, it's the story about good and evil. Like there are like good morals and stuff like that, but like Star Wars is the show that has been with me. Like since I was a kid, like it's my safe space. Like that's, it has helped me through a lot of things. And it's like, and it's not really like this deep, like traumatic thing. Like it is space, you know, or yeah. it's just like, it's, it's weird. It's, it's a weird science fiction movie. Like when you look at it, when you think about it, like, mm-hmm. like on a surface level, but it's just like, um, I, I was really trying to enforce in them. It's like, mm-hmm. you don't have to be like sad or, mm-hmm. or like, you don't have to talk about like your dark issues to like, just, um, 
like make good art. Like that's what the, my playwright form that I was going to do with these kids was about was finding your artistic voice and talking about things that matter to you. And like, you know, if that, the thing that matters to you is to talk about some hard stuff and like, absolutely do that. But like, that doesn't have to define you as an artist. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in dramatic writing. I think something, another, when I was doing a lot of acting, I did a television show and I played a pregnant 16 year old and something I, I had a hard conversation with one of the, the showrunners. I was like, yeah, you know, the thing about dramatic writing is that when you put your words on a page, you have to understand that someone is going to embody that. Mm-hmm. A human, a different human than you is going to have to put on that narrative. And mm-hmm. so like the story of this pregnant girl in an abusive household in a, like who has like a baby with birth defects, who's like, that's traumatic for me as an actor to like embody this and for her to never experience any joy. It's it sucks. Like, and I, I love that whole team. Shout out to that team. Shout out to everyone there. But it was also like, this is, this is on me, but I did have a pregnancy scare while we were shooting. And I was like, my brain like dissolved. I could, it was so hard to be like, like actor playing this traumatic moment versus person grace trying to be a real human. And I did another, I did a film, um, where my character had a miscarriage and it was written by a, Oh, I'm tangenting too, (laughs) but the writer, Jeremy Pope, I adore Jeremy. I love his whole family. I love his wife, Lindsay. It was, it was based on their miscarriage and it was, we shot at their house and Lindsay was there and she was like showing me pictures of their baby who passed away as I'm like sitting there preparing for my scene. It was really, it was, it was a hard day of shooting. And it's something that I think when we look at theater, especially when we're writing about trauma, it's like, remember somebody somebody has to put that on somebody has to wear those clothes and that that can be really painful especially in our industry that's not designed for our industry isn't good at intimacy it isn't good at trauma it isn't good at these violent narratives being safe for actors yet and if we want to tell these stories of trauma we need to make it safe for the actors and I (laughs) I love Taika Waititi and I think he does it well um in his films like uh I think Jojo Rabbit is I know I have some Jewish friends who disagree and I I think everyone has their own opinion for me as like someone from a family of Holocaust survivors I'm like Mm -hmm. that is a that is the best film about Nazis I've seen (laughs) yeah that's Jojo Rabbit was amazing like Taika Watiki shout out to him I love him hard eyes I want to marry him you know like I uh uh, again tangents but like we're gonna get back to your parents in here for a moment like that movie really fucks me up because like it's yeah. like so it's like so happy and it's about like this jew like this nazi boy and i'm like oh man i i shouldn't be really feeling very happy about this nazi little boy here like but taika is making me feel things and then once it gets to that ending where it's just like sad and it's like mm-hmm. uh, and it's like oh man this is this is this is awful <laughs> yeah. but uh anyway um I think his I gotta talk about Taika one more time. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think Hunt, it. Hunt for the Win- Wilder People. All of all of Taika Waititi's films do that where they're like talking about traumatic, painful things in a way that I'm like, I don't believe this actor was hurt. I don't believe this actor, like I am able to process this as someone with trauma. Like I think that we need more writing like that that like instills the light into our very dark world. Um that is all. Taika Waititi, please email me. I'm in love with you. <laughs> yeah. But also just like, I think like not just in this, like the, the writing too, but like in the space 
and just remembering like I for Doxy's God specifically I reminded my actors like hey we are not therapists here we're not here to like relive our like trauma there's a lot of real shit in this show so here's like I literally gave him resources like if you're feeling Mm -hmm. anything call these numbers um, we had an intimacy coach, like we made, I tried to make that set like as safe as possible because like, I, I hate method acting too, <laughs> but uh, like, it was still hard on them too. Cause like, it's the interpretation and the writing in that play, but no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, we're getting close to the end of the show and I want, I want to ask you the question I ask people on the show. I like asking this question. Um, we're 10 year parents we're here. They're hearing all this conversation that we just had right now. Um, what's the one thing you want to tell them right now after you just gushed about them? Mm. Yeah. Thank you for, I have two things. The first thing is Thank you for making me dump Aaron, even though it was me, um, even though it was, at the end of the day, it was my choice. Uh, thank you for never stopping, never, thank you for not ever giving up on reminding me that I deserve better. And thank you for being the first to tell me that in like every situation I've ever been in that was toxic. Thank you for being the people that tell me I deserve better. And, and thank you for raising me um, to not be afraid of grownups. Um, because I think if I'd have been afraid of grownups, I think a lot of the situations that were so painful in my life would have hurt even worse. Mm -hmm. And thank you for, thank you for raising me to speak my mind. And I know it's always caused us fights, um, because you raised me to be just as stubborn as you were, but like, I think it like as a, as a young woman in a, in a space that is not always designed for women or queer people or people of color. Like, I think that like learn being taught, from a young age that it's okay to say when I think something's wrong has only ever been a, a healing thing for me. And this is, <laughs> I'm sorry I auditioned for that play when I was failing math. I know I wasn't allowed to. Um, I auditioned for a musical and it was, it was the only time I've ever been grounded. And I lied to them systematically for three months telling them I was going to math tutoring instead of rehearsal, um, but I was going to rehearsal and I failed math. Um, this is junior year of high school. Anyway, I'm really sorry about that one uh, because now I'm taking <laughs> math in college and I'm failing math again. And I really should have just gone to tutoring and you were right, but I love you both. And uh, I'll cook dinner this week, I promise. Yeah. I got a C minus in college math and I was like, that's enough. That's enough yeah. for me. <laughs> like, I'm taking I'm a- it for the third time this semester. I failed uh, it twice already. Yeah. I only, <laughs> I only shout out to Dr. Rutz. Um, he gave me so many chances. Cause I think that class was pretty much designed for people who are not mathematics and they need a grade. <laughs> they need to pass. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying so hard. Please just, just give me a C minus. I don't even care about an A. Give me a D. B, give me a D. I don't care. The fact that I even got a C minus, it was like a miracle. <laughs> give me credit, please. I want out of here. Pretty much. Um, Wayward Artist, we are in the lightning round questions right now. If you didn't know, um, it's a series of five questions that I ask guests each and every week on the show. They're fun. They're not too so fast uh, because we'll probably really get into them. Um, Grace, are you ready? I am. I'm always ready. I'm so ready. the first question is, um, oh my God, I almost forgot what it was. What would be your perfect day? That's the one. My perfect day. Okay. 
I wake up at 6.30 with the sunrise. It's summer. It's like June or July. I wake up. I make myself breakfast. I have a smoothie with like banana and blackberries and uh, dairy-free yogurt. And then I write for two hours. I drink an espresso. And then I go walk by the river for a couple hours and nobody needs me. And I just get to go be outside. And then I go plant shopping and I have enough money for the plants that I want. And then I go garden. And then I come home and I have like Maybe I have a meeting. I talk about my writing for a bit and then I um, write a little more um, and then at my, I make my bed and make my room all clean. Everything's nice. Can you tell I'm a Virgo? Um, everything's clean. Everything's beautiful. I drink a glass of tea. And then when my friends comes over and we drink Trader Joe's grapefruit Prosecco on the patio and we drink the wine and maybe we go for another walk while we drink the wine and we talk about art and the world and we look at the stars and nobody needs me or emails me and I just get through the day and then I fall asleep watching um, How to Get Away with Murder um, and I don't forget to wash my face before I fall asleep. And that is my perfect day. The 6 a.m. waking up, is that an NTI thing? <laughs> like that was instilled in you or? Maybe, honestly. <laughs> I just, every day is better if I wake up early and I hate it, but I also love it. And I just feel so much better if I wake up early. Okay. And that's, that's lame, but also nice. Cause and I, also, cause, yeah. Yeah. Cause when I had my interview with Rachel, uh, it was 6 a.m. Cause I had to go, go to work like in the next hour. That's what I told her. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, you would probably work well in NTI for like um, getting up for our yoga at 6 a.m. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'll see whatever you want. Like, that's, <laughs> I'll, yeah. But right now, I'm like, no way I would wake up at 6 a.m. to do anything. I, when I was at, yeah, when I was at NTI, I'd get up at five and do my homework because I, I, if I go to bed past 11, I'm a mess the next day. So I would get up at five. And yeah. I told Rachel that, and she's like, great job. That's what I did. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, before I get to the next question, I'm very curious about this tattoo that you have. Is that this, like, is that a, the snake that, like, a, like, it looks like. I, it is. I, I, tell me exactly what it is, because I know it's a, it's a snake eating something. It is from the Little Prince, and it is a snake that ate a. Um, oh, yes. It's a snake that ate an elephant. And if you look at it, if you look at it, this is my first tattoo I ever got. I also have the Bacardi logo. Um, that's awkward. I got that at a party. But this one is metaphorical because if you look at the snake um, with a with a grown up old person mind, you're going to see a hat or maybe the Pizza oh. Hut logo if you're a frat guy. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not a hat. You have to look at it with a more creative mind. And the mind of a child sees wow. a little snake that ate an elephant. And it's a reminder for me to look at it with child brain. And I tested it. My fourth grade students all thought it was a snail. I was like, weird snail, but I'm proud of you. I hate myself now because I thought it was a hat. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, that is a now. better answer than the Pizza Hut logo, which is what people have asked me. Like, what is wrong <laughs> with you? Oh, man. No, but I knew it was a snake because like it's the shape. I remember, like, I just couldn't remember. I have uh, a little prince is amazing. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm just very upset. I'm, I'm very, I'm just very now like, cause I'm 28 and I'm like, we talked about being old and I'm like, oh no, like it's, it's transitioning. It's happening. Like I'm elderly. <laughs> just okay. put me, yeah. Put me in a home. It's over. <laughs> You're not even 30. I know. I know. I'm just kidding. But, um, Question number two, what's a song that describes your life right now? Um, mm, mm, 
what songs every song has left my head um here's the one uh don't talk me down by jojo it's like don't talk me down and uh, that one yeah i'm just surprised you brought up jojo (laughs) (laughs) like what a what a throwback i love i love that song and i love um not well i like the lyrics because it's about like um like i walked out of this bad situation don't convince me otherwise um but i would also say all by myself by celine dion not because of even the lyrics just because of that key change at the end just mm-hmm. like that is i'm i feel like i am go- coming up on a really badass key change in my life <laughs> <laughs> uh i will ask you about those song choices let's say you know some podcast host has a playlist of all the songs that fellow guests from this show from that show uh picked as the song of wow all the words are just gone now like what what essentially I was going to try to say is like if I have we have a playlist available on Spotify and Apple Mm -hmm. Podcasts of everyone's songs that describes their lives right now and it's the place playlist is called is wayward songs for wayward artists or songs for wayward artists I call it multiple things so I want to ask you pick one song for the playlist all by myself Celine Dion Celine Dion all the way all by myself by Celine Dion, and you can listen to that on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Um, wait for the key change because it's the best key change of all time. <laughs> Question number three: What is your third favorite movie? My third favorite movie is. Um, I think it's Stardust. The from the uh, it's like two thousand three. It's got Robert De Niro in it, um, and it's a fantasy movie and. I will say it's probably the movie I've watched more than any other movie, but it doesn't take like favorite movie place because it's more of a comfort movie, but it's about this boy who he's in love with this girl and the girl's like, go find me a fallen star and then I'll marry you. And he's like, okay. And so he like goes across the wall into this fantasy world and it's Robert De Niro's in it. Um, and the, the score is great. And he meets, he finds the star, but the star is Claire Danes and they fall in love, of course. And it's like a, it's a big comfort movie for me. So that's uh, it. I, you got me at like Robert De Niro in a fantasy movie. Like Robert that's... De Niro plays a cross-dressing pirate, dude. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's uh, un- unheard of. <laughs> that's crazy. I'll have to check it out. It sounds, it sounds like my jam. That's for sure. Um, Wayward artist. We still have a special announcement about the third favorite movies, but we're not. It's not done yet. It's gonna happen soon. Um, yeah, that's all I'm gonna say because <laughs> I don't want to make an announcement and then it not happening for some reason. Anyway, uh, question number four: What's your favorite ice cream topping? Gummy bears. Gummy bears. Lots of people pick gummy bears. Why? Yep. Why gummy bears? Yeah. Or whipped cream, maybe. I really like whipped cream. Okay. I, I yeah I can't eat dairy though so gummy bears are the smarter choice yeah like what is it about gummy bears that you like um I like when they get cold like when if you put if you're doing like froyo so you put your gummy bears on the bottom and then you put the froyo on top and then mm-hmm. the gummy bears are like kind of freezy and so you they like melt in your mouth and they're like chewy they last longer I just think they're good and also like really if I'm going to froyo I'm going for the gummy bears like mm-hmm. yeah I I do have another question that's not related to like the lightning round, but like Elizabeth Theobald, a friend of the show whose mm-hmm. uh, episode you can listen to right now um, in the future, not now, now, but <laughs> um, putting it on. 
we weren't really sure what the difference was between ice cream and frozen yogurt. I have a theory. Yeah. Okay. So my theory, I thought of this the other day. When you get soft serve ice cream, if yeah. a place has soft serve ice cream. Not to interrupt you, but specifically, yeah, uh, frozen yogurt and soft serve ice cream. Soft serve is only vanilla or chocolate or the swirl with both. If it's any other flavor, then it's froyo. This is what I don't know why that's the system, but I'm pretty sure that's the system because I have never seen straight up chocolate froyo. I've just seen like chocolate cake froyo or like fudge froyo. So mm -hmm. I think soft serve ice cream is like the stuff you get at like the fair, and mm -hmm. froyo is more flavors. Yeah, Pat, you, that's my theory. <laughs> Maybe that should be another lightning round question. It's like, what's the difference between yo ice soft serve ice cream and froyo? Like. I, because like I would love to know what that mystery is. Um, the other mystery is in the final and fifth question of the show, and the most important question of the show: Left Twix or right Twix? I don't like Twix. But you got to pick a side. Like yeah, pick a side. Uh, Everyone has to pick a side. <laughs> left, left. But is it because yeah. of like why? Because it's my my ring hand, and like ring. Hand. I also feel like if I'm like breaking it. I'm going to hand the one that's in my right hand to the person and I'll keep the left Twix. That's very specific. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will say I probably won't eat it. I'll just hang on to it. And then when the person eats the other Twix, I'm like, oh, do you want mine? And then they're like, you're so nice. I'm like, it's like, yeah, actually, I don't like Twix. So <laughs> I don't know why I bought this. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's fun. Um, there was like this TikTok video of like, um, a guy showing like what's the difference between left and right twigs it's and it's the caramel apparently but like we haven't tested that theory uh, yet on the show but i saw the video of like one side has more caramel than the other and i was like hmm yeah interesting that's for sure it could have just been a manufacturing error but whatever mm. um it's always my favorite question because everybody has different answers for it <laughs> some of them similar but some of them go like really deep but um like really in detail yeah um wayward artist this has been wayward artist in the wayward world grace do you have any last words um i hope you all have an amazing day and pick flowers oh yeah oh and uh, where can people find you as well oh i'm on instagram at g.wardy so that's g.w-a-r-d-y-y two y's um mm -hmm. or grace elaine ward you can find me you should dm me and we'll be friends that's how Sid and I became friends and now we're besties. So yeah. And uh, you guys can watch this episode every Sunday on YouTube and podcast services around the globe. Make sure to buy our merch. Um, stay tuned for the spinoff shows, Book of Boba Fett and Analysis and Loki. Loki one's going to come up sooner because we have a release date for that one. Um, so anyway, Wayward Artists, uh, without further ado, it's been real. Wow. <laughs>